This audio production was made in collaboration with Audible Anarchist. On the Phenomenon of Bullshit Jobs, a work rant by David Graeber. In the year 1930, John Maynard Keynes predicted that by century's end, technology would have advanced sufficiently that countries like Great Britain or the United States would have achieved a 15-hour work week. There's every reason to believe he was right. In technological terms, we are quite capable of this, and yet it didn't happen. Instead, technology has been marshalled, if anything, to figure out ways to make us all work more. In order to achieve this, jobs have had to be created that are effectively pointless. Huge swaths of people in Europe and North America in particular spend their entire working lives performing tasks they secretly believe do not really need to be performed. The moral and spiritual damage that comes from this situation is profound. It is a scar across our collective soul, yet virtually nobody talks about it. Why did Keynes's promised utopia, still being eagerly awaited in the 60s, never materialise? The standard line today is that he didn't figure in the massive increase in consumerism. Given the choice between less hours and more toys and pleasure, we've collectively chosen the latter. This presents a nice morality tale, but even a moment's reflection shows it can't really be true. Yes, we have witnessed the creation of an endless variety of new jobs and industries since the 20s, but very few have anything to do with the production of distribution of sushi, iPhones, or fancy sneakers. So what are these new jobs precisely? A recent report comparing employment in the US between 1910 and 2000 gives us a clear picture, and I know one pretty much exactly echoed in the UK. Over the course of the last century, the number of workers employed as domestic servants in industry and in the farm sector has collapsed dramatically. At the same time, professional, managerial, clerical, sales and service workers have tripled, growing from one quarter to three quarters of total employment. In other words, productive jobs have, just as predicted, been largely automated away. Even if you count industrial workers globally, including the toiling masses in India and China, such workers are still not nearly so large a percentage of the world population as they used to be. But rather than allowing a massive reduction of working hours to free the world's population to pursue their own projects, pleasures, visions, and ideas, we have seen the ballooning of not even so much of the service sector as of the administrative sector up to and including the creation of whole new industries like financial services or telemarketing, or the unprecedented expansion of sectors like corporate law, academic and health administration, human resources, and public relations. And these numbers do not even reflect on all those people whose job it is to provide administrative, technical, or security support for those industries, or for that matter the whole host of ancillary industries, dog washers, all-night pizza delivery that only exist because everyone else is spending so much of their time working in all the other ones. These are what I propose to call bullshit jobs. It's as if someone were out there making up pointless jobs just for the sake of keeping us working, and here precisely lies the mystery. In capitalism, this is precisely what is not supposed to happen. Sure, in the old inefficient socialist states like the Soviet Union, where employment was considered both a right and a sacred duty, the system made up as many jobs as they had to. This is why in Soviet department stores it took three clerks to sell a piece of meat. But, of course, this is the sort of problem market competition is supposed to fix. According to economic theory, at least, the last thing a profit-seeking firm is going to do is shell out money to workers they don't really need to employ. Still, somehow, it happens. 
While corporations may engage in ruthless downsizing, the layoffs and speedups invariably fall on that class of people who are actually making, moving, fixing, and maintaining things. Through some strange alchemy no one can quite explain, the number of salaried paper pushers ultimately seems to expand, and more and more employees find themselves not unlike Soviet workers, actually working 40 or even 50 hour weeks on paper, but effectively working 15 hours just as Keynes predicted. Since the rest of their time is spent organising or attending motivational seminars, updating their Facebook profiles or downloading TV box sets. The answer clearly isn't economic. It's moral and political. The ruling class has figured out that a happy and productive population with free time on their hands is a mortal danger. Think of what started to happen when this even began to be approximated in the 60s. And on the other hand, the feeling that work is a moral value in itself, and that anyone not willing to submit themselves to some kind of intense work discipline for the most of their waking hours deserves nothing, is extraordinarily convenient for them. Once, when contemplating the apparent endless growth of administrative responsibilities in British academic departments, I came up with one possible vision of hell. Hell is a collection of individuals who are spending the bulk of their time working on a task they don't like and are not especially good at. Say they were hired because they were excellent cabinet makers, and then discover they are expected to spend a great deal of their time frying fish. Neither does the task really need to be done, at least. There's only a very limited number of fish that need to be fried, yet somehow they all become so obsessed with resentment at the thought that some of their co-workers might be spending more time making cabinets and not doing their fair share of fish frying responsibilities, that before long there's endless piles of useless, badly cooked fish piling up all over the workshop, and it's all that anyone really does. I think this is actually a pretty accurate description of the moral dynamics of our economy. Now, I realise any such argument is going to run into immediate objections. Who are you to say what jobs are really necessary? What's necessary anyway? You're an anthropology professor! What's the need for that? And indeed a lot of tabloid readers would take the existence of my job as the very definition of wasteful social expenditure. And on one level, this is obviously true. There can be no objective measure of social value. I would not presume to tell someone who is convinced they are making a meaningful contribution to the world that really they are not. But what about those people who are themselves convinced their jobs are meaningless? Not long ago I got back in touch with a school friend who I hadn't seen since I was 12. I was amazed to discover that in the interim, he had become first a poet, then the frontman of an indie rock band. I'd heard some of his songs on the radio, having no idea the singer was someone I actually knew. He was obviously brilliant, innovative, and his work had unquestionably brightened and improved the lives of people all over the world. Yet, after a couple of unsuccessful albums, he'd lost his contract, and plagued with debts and a newborn daughter, ended up, as he put it, taking the default choice of so many directionless folk, law school. Now he's a corporate lawyer, working in a prominent New York firm. He was the first to admit that his job was utterly meaningless contributed nothing to the world, and in his own estimation, should not really exist. There's a lot of questions one could ask here, starting with, what does it say about our society that it seems to generate an extremely limited demand for talented poet-musicians, but an apparently infinite demand for specialists in corporate law? Answer, if 1% of the population controls most of the disposable wealth, what we call the market reflects what they think is useful or important, not anybody else. But even more, it shows that most people in these jobs are ultimately aware of it. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever met a corporate lawyer who didn't think their job was bullshit. 
The same goes for almost all the new industries outlined above. There is a whole class of salaried professionals that, should you meet them at parties and admit that you do something that might be considered interesting, an anthropologist for example, will want to avoid even discussing their line of work entirely, one or the other. Give them a few drinks and they will launch into tirades about how pointless and stupid their job really is. This is a profound psychological violence here. How can one even begin to speak of dignity in labour when one secretly feels one job shouldn't exist? How can it not create a sense of deep rage and resentment? Yet it is the peculiar genius of our society that its rulers have figured out a way, as in the case of the fish fries, to ensure that rage is directed precisely against those who actually do get to do the meaningful work. For instance, in our society there seems a general rule that the more obviously one's work benefits one other people, the less one is likely to be paid for it. Again, an objective measure is hard to find, but one easy way to get a sense is to ask, what would happen were this entire class of people to simply disappear? Say what you like about nurses, garbage collectors, or mechanics, it's obvious that were they to vanish in a puff of smoke, the results would be immediate and catastrophic. A world without teachers or dock workers would soon be in trouble, and even one without science fiction writers or ska musicians would clearly be a lesser place. It's not entirely clear how humanity would suffer were all private equity CEOs, lobbyists, PR researchers, actuaries, telemarketers, bailiffs, or legal consultants to similarly vanish. Many suspect it might markedly improve. Yet apart from a handful of well-touted exceptions, doctors, the rule holds surprisingly well. Even more perverse, there seems to be a broad sense that this is the way things should be. This is one of the secret strengths of right-wing populism. You can see it when tabloids whip up resentment against tube workers for paralysing London during contract disputes. The very fact that tube workers can paralyse London shows their work is actually necessary, but this seems to be precisely what annoys people. It's even clearer in the US where Republicans have had a remarkable success mobilising resentment against school teachers or auto workers and not significantly against the school administrators or auto industry managers who actually cause the problems for their supposedly bloated wages and benefits. It's as if they are being told, but you get to teach children or make cars. You get to have real jobs. And on top of that, you have to have the nerve to also expect middle-class pensions and healthcare. If someone has designed a work regime perfectly suited to maintaining the power of finance capital, it's hard to see how they could have done a better job. Real productive workers are relentlessly squeezed and exploited. The remainder are divided between a terrorised stratum of the universally reviled, unemployed, and a larger stratum who are basically paid to do nothing, in positions designed to make them identify with the perspectives and sensibilities of the ruling class, managers, administrators, etc., and particularly its financial avatars, but at the same time foster a simmering resentment against anyone whose work has clear and undeniable social value. Clearly, the system was never consciously designed. It emerged from almost a century of trial and error. But it is the only explanation for why, despite our technological capacities, we are not all working three to four hour days. This has been a production of Audible Anarchist. You can find more Audible Anarchist on YouTube.